Welcome. You're listening to The Sacristy, a podcast where we seek to learn, discuss, and exult in the faith delivered once for all to the saints, as it has been passed down in the Anglican tradition. I'm Father Matthew Ainsley, the Vicar of All Souls Episcopal Church, a church plant in Horizon West, Florida, and I'm joined by my caffeinated co-host... Father David Bumstead, the Rector of Emmanuel Episcopal Church in the Audubon Park neighborhood of Orlando, Florida. We're real priests with real jobs and real churches, and service times are in our bio. We'd love for you to join us for worship if you're ever in town with us. Hey, Father Matt. Hey, what's going on? Well, we're just at Emmanuel recording a podcast. Yeah. I am caffeinated. I've got lots of coffee in me today. And I was projecting a little bit myself. Yeah. I'm halfway through 24 ounces of Red Bull. <laughs> Can I give yourself an aneurysm? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's been a little bit since we have met. It has. Um, since talk, we've been very busy. What have you been up to, Father Matt? I've been running a lot lately, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. I did, if you're familiar with the Run Disney challenges, I did the Dopey Challenge which was four races in four consecutive days. It was a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, and then a marathon. So that's 48.6 miles. And it was a lot of fun, except it was really hot. Like <laughs> thousands of people didn't finish. Wait, really? From what I understand, there was a lot of DNFs just because it was a scorcher. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Like, here like in- it was upper 70s, yeah. which that doesn't sound super hot. It, but it got close to 80. That's very hot to run a marathon in. That's not what you want. It's it's pretty warm for January anywhere, even in Florida. So. Oh yeah, usually we're like 50 degrees, yeah. 60 degrees. It was it was way up there. I love that. But, it's but it was a lot of fun. Challenge. Yeah. I love that it's called. Yeah, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. One of the dwarfs. Yeah. I know, but it is it is kind of. I was saying it for the audience' yeah, sake, they, they in know. case they're not Disney files, they, like I am. They already know. So it was cool. Uh, our family represented in every event. That's so cool. My daughter, Windsor, ran the mile. She's five. She owned it. <laughs> and then my youngest daughter, Pippa, she ran the 100-meter uh, kids' dash. <laughs> and then my wife ran the 10K with me, uh, which was the second day of the event. If you follow Father Ainsley on, super fun. on Instagram, there's some really great pictures of, of him running and, and actually finishing the, the the marathon, correct? I mean, well, I got to get him up there. That, that's on my okay. wife's Instagram. Oh, that's right. I haven't done a post yet, but I'll get one up there. Yeah, a, obligatory. Uh, it's pretty post. cool. You're, yeah, he's actually wearing as we record the uh, one of the jerseys from the Dopey Challenge. It's a very nice looking. The shirts were very good this year. <laughs> Some years the shirts are not great. Like they don't fit well. They're like ah, I'm not going to wear that. But this year the shirts were. We're good. Which uh, you running your marathon, which is excellent. Congratulations! Uh, yeah, I, I talked to him that Sunday, and he was actually in pretty good spirits. Yeah, considering he had run a million miles, way more than I sure. did. Sure, um, but that was an opportunity for you to uh, invite one of our colleagues to run supply for your for your church, which is kind of a big deal. I mean, like you having the amount of trust to do that. I mean, I, I'm pretty impressed. The church was in good hands. Yes, it was. And so I've heard I've heard really good things. Yes, it was. So, yeah. Um, what about you, man? Well, uh, well, just been uh, nothing as exciting, I think, as running a, a 50 miles over the course of <laughs> four days. But um, really just doing, doing the usual kind of work around um, 
parish ministry as we head out of the Christmas season into, in our diocese, we do a lot of our parish governance and church governance and diocesan governance right after Christmas, which is seems ill-informed in my opinion, but that's all I'm going to say. Um, but, Did you uh, have fun at Christmas? Well, get ready to not have fun. Yeah, get ready Let's for a do lot some of meetings. Yeah. Paperwork. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, one, one cool thing happened this past week. Um, we were able to host uh, the sixth graders at the church, or excuse me, at the school across the street. And the sixth grade team came over and sold vegetables, a little kind of market in front of our, in front, of our front door of the church because they just needed a nice little space. And it was Sweet. nicer than, uh, than the parking lot of the school, which I appreciate, which it is a, the front door of our church is very nice. And when you say right across the street, it's, Right across the street. I'm looking at it right now, and I, I'm actually hearing it, and you may be hearing it right now. Is I there always a... hear it, yeah. Um, <laughs> a careful listener will be able to hear the, the the teachers over the intercom as we record. Mr. Bumstead, please come to the principal's <laughs> I, office. Did you hear that as a child? Uh, not often, but I heard it enough. <laughs> uh, and have, in fact, heard it even now. Uh, fairly recently, in fact, I got a text from the guidance counselor, and said, which said, Hey, can you see me in my office today? Which I was like, I don't have to be worried about that, but it, I was still it triggered. You still triggered? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I was still like, uh oh, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and then actually, the same day, I was able to put on my cassock and take some over, take over some some church furnishings and books and stuff, and sat in the career fair, and um, talked to kids about the, the ministry, which was pretty cool. So it was a career fair for kids. Yeah, for middle okay. schoolers. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, most of the people that work there already have jobs, so. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if it was like community career fair. Yeah, I know. those do exist, right? Yes, they do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was a middle. It was a middle school uh, career fair. Uh, my favorite part, of course, was when uh, like these. I would say they're probably, uh, if my youth ministry radar is correct, I think they were eighth graders. A bunch of eighth grade boys kind of came in a flock, and they were ready, ready to kind of like I don't know, just sort of like I don't know, troll a little bit. And they said, well, what are you? Um, kind of in that eighth grade boy kind of like uh, challenging tone. And I just kind of said to the alpha, I would say, of this pack, I just kind of <laughs> looked at him. I just looked at him and as I said, I'm a Sith Lord because uh, I was wearing my cassock. And they just kind of all looked and they looked at him. And I was like, yep. And they just was like, what's happening? I was like, I'm a priest, man. You got any questions? And they laughed and walked on. Yeah. So um, it's the little things. That's fun, it's though. little things. It was fun. It was a good time. And lots of great little conversations. And I blessed a bunch of people because I brought here holy water. So. Yeah. When I think of a middle school career fair, I think it would be fun to do one as like sort of an entrapment, like a sting operation okay. where you like get the kids interested and then you try to employ them, but then you arrest them for violating child labor laws. <laughs> you are so weird. <laughs> <That's> so- <laughs> What you want to learn more about working at Chick Fil A? Arrested. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> yeah, man. Sure. <laughs> I'm in the back with the camera. Move, move, move. move, move. Get him. <laughs> Just so we know, here in the state of Florida, you have to be 15 in order to have a job. So yeah, unless you're working with family. I, I didn't know what the age was. 15. Yeah, because I didn't have a real job till I was like 25. I'm kidding. I did. Moving on. All right. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to unpack there, Father Matt. Maybe another time. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So what are we looking at here? Um, 
Will you pray for us? And then we'll get into our main topic after our calendar. Father David, the Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty Father, who didst inspire Simon Peter, first among the apostles, to confess Jesus as Messiah and Son of the living God, keep thy church steadfast upon the rock of this faith, so that in unity and peace we may proclaim the one truth and follow the one Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm only laughing because of how insane your sting operation idea really is. <laughs> uh, not because I don't. That would make a great show, though. It's so weird. <laughs> I'm like so impressed with creativity. We could do it maybe at my daughter's elementary school because it'd be like, "Are you interested in science? You being interested in science is illegal." <laughs> what? All right, so. Uh, on the calendar for us, we want to um, just kind of briefly uh, talk about what we're seeing uh, for us. We've, on January 17th, the church remembers St. Anthony of Egypt, um, who was a monastic, a desert father, and of course had a profound impact on the early church, uh, especially Athanasius of Alexandria. You've read through the life of Anthony, haven't you? I think you told me that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of uh, the top selling, not that there were maybe selling books, but widely read Christian books of all time. You know, of course, the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress, Life of Antony. Uh, incredible. Um, if you're out there, you've never had an opportunity to peruse it. Um, incredible faith. And we'll, we'll get back to it a little bit as we get mm-hmm. into our topic. Well, January 18th, the major feast of the church, the Confession of St. Peter, remembering um just that, that Peter was the one who confessed that Jesus is the Messiah and then immediately messed it up by when um, Jesus said um, that it's it's not good for him to be uh, killed and raised. Jesus was like, no, get behind me, Satan. But um, he got it right a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to build my when church. Counts, I'm going to yeah. build my church upon this rock. Also, you're Satan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see. And then uh, on the 22nd of January, uh, St. Vincent, who was a deacon and martyr. And then uh, finally, uh, looking towards January 25th, the confession of St. Paul, the apostle, who was, um, whose own confession comes a little bit later than Peter's, we might say. But right there. All right. All right. So what we want to do today is our, we want to talk about our favorite heresies. Good clickbaity. Yeah, nice and clickbaity, right? <laughs> and not so much because we love heresy, uh, so we want to get that out <laughs> at, the, at the top, <laughs> but more so because um, teaching teaching the faith through heresies, through the lens of when we've got it wrong in the church, is actually really helpful. Um, and these are, and we're going to come back to these, I, the, this this uh, this idea for shows a few times. Um, you know, we, we, this is our favorite heresies, part one. So we picked our favorites for this time, and we'll go through them and hopefully even get a couple of guests to come and talk about this with us. Uh, we'll get some heretics. Get some real heretics to come and tell us before we toss them on the pyre, right? Yeah. No, we shouldn't burn heretics. Or should we? I don't know. <laughs> Father David, before we go any further, yeah, will yeah, you yeah. just give us a working definition of heresy and we'll talk about that a little bit before we get into the specific ones yeah so um 
A heresy, the heresy actually comes from uh, a Greek word that basically means choice. And what, we're, what the implication of the way that we say heresy is it's the wrong choice. Uh, it's, uh, in, in the way that a heresy works in theology, it's the wrong choice as regards the true faith uh, of the church, the orthodox belief of the church, that which is which is lines up with um, you know, the teaching of the apostles, the scriptures, and that which is life-giving in the theological and spiritual reflection of the church. So heresy is basically not that. It's a... Um, for, and formally speaking, it is a theological teaching that has been condemned by the ecumenical church. So um, what we're going to talk about today are a couple of, of, of teachings that are um, basically the church said, not this, but this. Mm-hmm. Right. Does that help? Yeah. So, so heresy has to be a big deal. Is every single false teaching a heresy? Is my question. Like every single error. That's a. It's an interesting question because um, I have been. I I have personally been in rooms where uh, preachers have made mistakes in their preaching. Uh, I have. I remember one that said that uh, God is half, or excuse me, that Jesus Christ is half God and half man. Uh, which is a that's definitely a heresy. Definitely a heresy. But they weren't speaking. Um, they were speaking indelicately, but they weren't speaking out of. Um, they weren't speaking in in, in a way that was ref, re, reflecting the the teaching of the entire church Catholic. Mm-hmm. In that case, um, it's more. Mm, it, it, the church isn't in open flagrant heresy because that one priest made a made a mistake in their preaching. Is every teaching or is every wrong? teaching a heresy it might be heretical in the uh, material sense but i'm not really necessarily sure it's always sure um, a heresy in the formal sense yeah i think what i'm getting at is i I was in a context for a while that people would call anything they disagreed with heresy oh sure like like someone's speculation about for example the end times it might be wrong. It might have zero attestation in the ancient church, but it doesn't make them like a heretic who would be anathematized and their like their soul is in mortal danger. In the same way that heresy, in the formal sense, deals with things that are important that are part and parcel of the faith delivered once for all to the saints. Like they're, they're usually christological heresies sure, that right. we're saying something. Or, or heresies that impinge on the divinity of any person of the Trinity mm-hmm. or or a, a perhaps a formulation of the Holy Trinity that is out of bounds is yeah. a big one. Yeah, it's, it's, a de- it's a point of departure where, wait, we don't have the faith of the apostles if we go in this direction. Right. Um, it, it's, it's a serious and grave error. Yeah, it's a nuance that I think is as, uh, as the, as the, that has become harder and harder for for christian people of good of good faith to really wrap their minds around especially since the reformation and especially as you know as the church has basically convulsed with more and more denominations that would say like well what you believe is heresy so we have our own characteristical orthodoxy Mm -hmm. um so in that sense i don't i don't know if it's perhaps another way to answer the question would be it's probably not okay for us to just scream heresy, which you should probably do right now. Heresy! 
see. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's probably <laughs> it's probably not okay for us to do that as much as we do uh, as Christians, especially Western Christians. However, there are things that are taught from pulpits, from uh, in classrooms that are indeed heresies. And these are some of the things that we're going to talk about today, um, or, or perhaps the implications are, are, are what we're going to talk about today. I hope that answers your question. It does. I, I, yeah, I think that's helpful. Is um, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. There's things we we have to take a stand on. That hey, if we <laughs> what you're talking about is not even Christian, right? You know, if we're talking about you know Jesus is half man, half God, like <laughs> like no, that's not. We're, we're going to get into that in, in a second. Um, can I, can but, I, but it's also, yeah. you know, we, we disagree about this finer point of theology or the particular interpretation of a verse that is it really going to impact the Christian faith in total that just making sure we're not everything that I personally disagree with Matt Ainsley. Right. Oh, that's heresy. Yeah. And the reason Which, why like, sometimes that's what it can be like. It can be like that out there. And one of the things that is important for defending church doctrine is that we do that as a church. Right. And so when we say something that's a heresy, we're actually saying, uh, you know, in the in the classical sense, is something that the church has agreed upon together, saying um, that thing that that person like Arius. We're going to get into Arianism today. That thing that Arius says. Well, um, the prevailing um, the prevailing opinion of the church is that no, that's not it, and we believe that the Holy Ghost has uh, provided us an articulation of this doctrine that works in a way that's much more consonant with the witness of Scripture and in the teaching of the apostles. But again, to reiterate, that thing happens in relationship and with the witness of the church. It's actually probably, I'm going to go out on a limb here, it might be impossible for a single Christian to claim a heresy against another Christian and be right. Oh, just out of thin air. Yeah. Sure. Hey, there, has to, there has to be an appeal to the capital T tradition uh, of the church. And, and honestly, that's what produces heresy is when people try to do theology without the church. I mean, that you're, you're going to end up in heresy pretty quick. I think you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very cool. Well, um, so we picked two today. Um, like I said, we're going to be thinking of this as a kind of a first part of a loose series. We're not going to come back to this next time we do an episode, but it'll be something that we come back to over our times together. And um, the, we picked two. We picked Gnosticism, and you'll be you'll you'll tell us about how Gnosticism itself is kind of a misleading term. It's more like Gnosticisms, right, Father? Yes. Uh, and we also wanted to talk today about Arianism, uh, which is one of the uh, ancient and perhaps sort of prototypical. Um, heresies of the church but we'll begin today with gnosticism because it in some ways happens first it's a it's a kind of historical first mm-hmm. in terms of heresies uh, so father matt tell me about what it is what is gnosticism or what is the what is the most what is the quickest summary for something that is actually pretty complicated yeah it is really complicated for me uh, i know you have a good summary as well I just like to start with with some of the common features sure. because again there are Gnosticisms and they they take it uh, in different directions and Gnosticism is comes from a Greek word uh, gnosis which 
from which we derive the word knowledge. Right. Um, and so there usually start with, you know, there's things that happen as their, their cosmology, there tends to be uh, a, dis- so, a disdain or at least a contempt for the material world. So when we talk about cosmology, that's like how the universe works, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so you have to um, escape or mm-hmm. transcend this present gross plane through uh, secret knowledge. Right. And depending on your uh, like pre-existent identity, what sort of uh, being you are, how high up the strata you were prior to your birth, yeah. uh, that affects... Uh, your rate of ascent, and from what I can understand, even if you can ascend to the highest level, right? Well, uh, yeah, at all, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, fairly recently, we had uh, the you know we often talk about our friend who's a, a brewer at a pub around here. They brewed a beer called Not the Gnostic beer, uh, and it's it's very delicious. Um, yeah, and you gave a good summary yeah, they, in a video. <laughs> That's why I wanted you to start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll give it. You know. Um, yeah, they, they had me over to, to talk about it in a little video. And in Gnosticism, what's really interesting is that uh, Father Matt described this uh, kind of strata. And what we're actually seeing in kind of classically uh, articulated Gnosticism is that there's a, there's, a, there's a bad god that creates everything. And it has this fun word, the fun name, the Demiurge, right? Mm-hmm. Which is super metal, and I love it. And it creates uh, it creates matter and everything uh, is in it, and then it creates these levels of existence. And you can think of them like um, kind of like snow globes around snow globes is the way I, I, I often articulate it. And um, and each one of them is guarded. And again, this is sort of like um, sort of like uh, every every different little strain of, of of Gnosticism has a different spin on it, but. Mm-hmm. Each one of them is either guarded or named as an aeon, which is kind of anime. Um, and <laughs> and, uh, and each one of them has like this really cool name. Like like the first aeon is like justice and like the second aeon is like righteousness. And they might be like angels, like these weird archangels, or they might be like dragons, or they might be like just like spheres, who knows. Mm-hmm. And the ascent, like you say, uh, by an individual is like actually kind of like crashing upward. So mm-hmm. you're, you're going up and ascending in from the kind of like, as you say, I like that the grossest state of matter towards the greater estate of immaterial goodness. Uh, and, and that, that estate is, is called the pleroma or called it's a, it's a Greek word for fullness. Yeah. And in Gnostic cosmology and theology, the idea is that, um, I'm just going to finish this idea, I guess. Uh, the idea is that um, the bad god, Demiurge, is kind of like the devil. Uh, and the Pleroma, or the good god, is like the father. Uh, the the un, the kind of, uh, in, in Christian Gnosticism, is like the unknown father of Jesus. And, and Jesus is the one, in Christian Gnosticism, I say that with scare quotes, is Jesus is the one that brings the secret knowledge to the observant Gnostic. So the gnosis that is uh, that re- is received by the Gnostic person, the observant Gnostic, is maybe even as silly as like a secret word, right? Like what's the password to the aeon as you ascend through the ranks? 
So how do they feel about the incarnation? Well, they hate God, it. God in the flesh. Yeah, yeah as you're talking, it's like, yeah, that's not really going to uh, mesh with Christian teaching and right. the gospel. And well, because if the evil, if the evil demiurge, if the evil God creates matter, what does that say about matter? That it's not good. That it's not good. I mean, you, so you have a, I mean, the cosmology's whack. Yeah. Like Genesis one, God created. He saw that it was good. Right. That, that doesn't work within Gnosticism. Right. And so, also, it, it cancels out the prologue of John. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, because why would why would why would a good why would a good thing like the divine logos become material? That mm-hmm. sounds terrible to a Gnostic, mm-hmm. at least as far as like the early church understands and 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 and, uh, and combats incipient early Christian Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, uh, and I want to get into that uh, in a second, but that's why you see him take uh, take Gnosticism. It goes in all different kinds of directions. Because if matter is bad or at best it's contemptible, mm-hmm. then like what do you do with your body? Well, some would engage in extreme asceticism. They right. deny their body because they have to. Uh, if you think about, and we, there is a sense in which we have to deny our bodies right. and beat our body into submission, but with a way contempt because they have to transcend their flesh uh, in total. Right. But then some, since the body's contemptible, that kind of used it as a vehicle, as a means to ascend. So they would do, they basically become hedonists. Right. They might do uh, religious sort of orgies. That was that was a thing as well, mm-hmm. where they would um, go the other direction because you know since it doesn't, since matter doesn't really matter, we can kind of do whatever we, we whatever want with want. it, right. and you know, whatever. Um, but we see in, uh, I would argue, and it's not like me arguing by myself, like <laughs> like the fathers talked about this, scholars. Yeah. Uh, you you see incipient forms of Gnosticism even in Scripture, because and the reason you say incipient because you know Gnosticism really gets full blown in like the second century yeah, and beyond. Yeah, it's a little bit later than that. Um, yeah. Than, than yeah, but you do see like in you know in in First John, there's this effort. Uh, and you see this in the prologue of John uh, as well when he says, you know, the word became flesh, the word became, we talked about the incarnation mm-hmm. in episode seven, became sarks, right? This this base word, there's no confusing, like, docetism that, that Jesus, the redeemer, the giver of secret knowledge, only seemed to be yeah. human. He doesn't really leave you that option with the language that he chooses. Right. And then, he, you know, he also says, uh, John, first John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Gnostics are like, oh, good. But then yeah. they're, all, they're, <laughs> they're off the train here. And, it, and our hands have handled. Yeah. We touched him. Yeah. Right? Um, you have that. And then later in that same epistle, he's, he's combating that because he's saying, you know, you have to test the spirits. You have to test, test the teaching uh, that you have received. This is in First John chapter four, and he says, "Every spirit uh, that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and is the spirit of the Antichrist." He says, already dealing with this mm-hmm. this denial of like the goodness of creation, and that God has indeed come. 
uh, in human flesh. Yeah, and and, and that's and, just the Apostle John, right? Uh, you know, we, we we think that we see some again some of that incipient Gnosticism in Colossians, for example. Um, Which, what does Paul say that? The pleroma, the fullness right. of deity, yeah. dwells, dwells in Christ, Christ bodily. Yeah. So he's rocking the, those proto-Gnostics. Yeah, yeah, he's completely <laughs> messing with the cosmology, once again, to use that big word, messing with that idea of how, how uh, God works uh, in, in, in the theologies of the ancient world. Yeah, and so it begs the question, we'll ask this again of Arianism too, but why is that important? And I would argue that to... Gnosticism, as we see it in its, again, incipient form in the scriptures, but also as it develops throughout the second and third centuries, uh, Irenaeus of Leon, by the way, when he writes against Heresaeus, uh, he's, he's actually writing about different forms of Gnosticism uh, that are present in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the world around his churches. And so we know that it's an early thing and really developing in, in its strength in, in the second century. But again, um, it's an important doctrine of the church to know that Jesus Christ was actually a human being, right? That him putting on flesh is a historical event uh, and that it, it was good for God to do that. So in order for us to have a, a, a truly life-giving understanding of the work of Jesus Christ, um, in the incarnation, we do have to begin with the very idea that creation itself is good. It's broken, right, by, by humanity's uh, transgression in the garden, uh, or at least our relation to it, right, uh, and our relation to each other, at the very least. Uh, but in order for the rest of Christian theology and spirituality to work as the scriptures present it, the word becoming flesh is something that we must trust in when you say if jesus christ did not become fully human and to be human is to be in flesh we're we're mm-hmm. a psycho physical unity we're right. we're spiritual and physical beings right we're this this again this unity then we are still in our sins like yeah and we're, we're not we're, when we're not yeah. united to god yeah and, and uh, there's another part of Gnosticism that I, I, I've seen. I think Pelican, uh, Yaroslav Pelican, the famous uh, historical theologian of the 20th century. I think he's a Lutheran. Of, um, so good. Yes. Then he converted to orthodoxy, right? Oh, did he? Oh. That's what I thought. I didn't realize that. Um, but he, he actually draws out one of the main problems with Gnosticism is the fact that in order to be, be a good Gnostic, Christian or otherwise, whatever, in order to be a good Gnostic, one has to imbibe of the secret knowledge. But in essence, the proclamation of the gospel is not secret, right? It is, it is kind of in Mark. But uh, in essence, the, the, the proclamation of, of the church is always meant to be public. And in fact, the, 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 the cry of the church that Jesus is Lord, um, the confession of St. Paul and St. Peter, uh, of Jesus is the Messiah, is open to all nations and re- and should be heard by all nations. And that is a very different idea than whispering the secret prayer or the secret word to this observant Gnostic so that they may ascend through the plero- uh, to the Pleroma. In essence, the Catholicity 
of the church is a check against the secrecy of uh, of all these different Gnosticisms. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Hmm. Yeah, I, and I think, um, you know, it's also important because, you know, we're, we're using, yeah, these these big words, cosmology, how we look at the yeah. world, how anthropology. You how know, we think about our human beings, yeah. Yeah, Christology. How we think about Christ. But these things matter for our salvation. Right. And how, I mean, how you look at the world is going to affect the way that you uh, live. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't believe in the, the goodness of uh, creation, then that's going to change the way that you interact with the world around you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to necessarily uh, throw shade but I've all I have in recent years I have found um, you know rapture theology mm. to be quite gnostic. I'm not saying sure. that people that believe in the rapture are gnostics, but sometimes it just sounded like it because it's like okay, we're going to escape mm-hmm. this wicked world uh, to quote N.T. Wright. God's going to throw space, time, and matter in the trash can, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to escape this plane through secret knowledge, na- namely by like reciting the sinner's prayer at a summer camp or a revival. And it's like, is that consistent with the goodness of creation in Genesis 1, the uh, recreation of the world in John 1, the reaffirmation of the goodness of creation, which is the incarnation, right. and of course, the crucifixion, crucifixion, resurrection. Jesus didn't die and then ascend to some immaterial realm. He, he like transfigures all of reality and begins Eden again as he awakes from the tomb. Right. And if you're grounded in incarnational theology, I think it just, if it helps to safeguard you against, I think having contempt for uh, our good, but broken uh, world, uh, and also making sure that your hope is indeed uh, the resurrection of the dead and yeah. the life of the world to come, right. uh, not not something else. Right. So I guess what you could, what we like, why does it matter to us now? I think what you're saying, and I think you're right, uh, is that a truly traditional Christology, a truly traditional anthropology, a truly traditional cosmology as Christians disallows um, disallows us to be uh, to think of heaven as, as something that's like completely completely divorced from the affairs of humanity and a God who doesn't affect the material world and doesn't and it disallows us from from um, a kind of religion that is only present in our minds sure right? And I think that's one of the beauties of of of, of our faith uh, as as Christians is that um, Christianity, our observance thereof, the enjoyment, the things we were talking about the last time we we got together to talk about the incarnation, is that it is a material faith that we have things that we can enjoy and observe with our senses, and that's a good thing because God created them, and in fact, part of what we're doing as Christians is offering them back up to God's for God's use. 
And that is not a thing in Gnosticism. It's a, it's an interior religion. Uh, you know, there are behaviors thereof and there's are sort of like, those are like the exterior parts of it. But Gnosticism in itself reflects really just only what's going on in the mind. Um, and that, and that, and that there's all kinds of, of, of problems with that. Well, and yeah, when you, when you talk about, uh, that, um, it makes me think of a lot of contemporary American religion mm. where we have these really, uh, beautiful doctrinal statements not that doctrine's not important. If you know us at all, like <laughs> doctrine's super, super important. If you're listening to us but now, it, you know that. <laughs> but it's not just this like left brain thing of, oh yeah, I believe these abstract things and they have no bearing on the rest of life instead of having a theology, yeah. not to overuse this word, mm-hmm. that's incarnational. Like Christianity is a way of life, you know, the yeah. threefold rhythm of like, Eucharist of the daily offices of our our devotion, and sometimes we can just have oh yeah well we we believe these things, and it does, but then the rest of our life or the the infrastructure and the worldview that we put those beliefs into it doesn't really match up. So right. so we have this like cool, uh, collected, objective religion of the head. Yeah. I'm not. That's not exactly Gnosticism, but as you're describing, like the disconnect between, you know, mm-hmm. there's like, like sort of a Kantian epistemology between the upstairs and the downstairs, right? The split level reality. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I've lived that. Yeah. So have and, I, and been there. Yeah. And sometimes still do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, we think that. Um, a truly embodied faith is the faith of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, the, the, the idea that, that our religion as Christians is not just assent to doctrine as important as doctrine is, um, but also uh, the, the doc- if, if doctrine is a latticework to heaven, that along the way there are good things to be done in this world, and there are people to love, and there are churches to build, and a, and a, uh, a kingdom to, to progress in the power of God. But it is a material world that we live in, and we have a material savior who came to be among us, uh, and who was actually a human being, and whose whose entire ministry was done among actual human beings. And if there is a secret knowledge, um, then uh, then it wasn't worth sharing with the rest of us. <laughs> but whatever knowledge we do have uh, is enough to save us. Yeah, and. So maybe you're listening to this and you've you've seen the History <laughs> Channel and you, you you've you've watched uh, Ancient Aliens. I don't know. You've that. watched Banned from the Bible, <laughs> and they, and they talk about these other books that you know these the dirty Nicene yeah. Christians wouldn't let in the canon. Uh, <laughs> you know, like wow. the the Gospel of Thomas yeah, or the sure. Gospel of Mary, the Gnostic Gospels. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there are these other works, uh, for example, but spoiler alert, the Gospel of Thomas was not written by Thomas, was written probably mid-2nd century, long after Thomas, yeah. was, if not I later. I thought it was later than that, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it, I guess if we're going to bring up the Gnostic Gospels and stuff like that, you know, it's worth just a little, a brief note on how canon works. Uh, 
how about this? N.T. Wright said on a podcast, and I, you know, uh, I think he's on, he's on he's on definitely on a something here when he says, um, you know, the the Bible that the church has is the Bible that God wanted the church to have, and um, gosh, guys, uh, Thomas didn't make it in, and probably yeah. for good reason. Yeah, and there's another. Um, an Eastern Orthodox uh, biblical scholar, uh, Jeannie Constantino, and she talks about, well, how, how was the canon formed? She's like, well, over time, the church chose the books that teach the faith. Yeah. So the ones that did not teach the faith, and if you read the Gospel of Thomas for like a second, <laughs> yeah. it'll be really obvious, like, uh, I don't think this is, <laughs> I don't think this is what Paul was preaching. Yeah. You know, I don't think this is what Tertullian was preaching. Yeah. Um, it, it becomes very obvious that, that that it does not bear the marks of uh, inspiration, if right. you will. No, it doesn't bear the marks of Christian holiness, right? Like in one of the ways that I think the church would have measured, um, you know, the scriptures would have been like, how does this, how does this encourage us to worship Jesus and love our neighbors? Mm-hmm. And and you don't really see that in the text of those of those of those gospels, which actually helps us segue into uh, Arianism because of Dan Brown and how he feels and how how uh, how um, what late '90s and early 2000s pop culture. Uh, helped us feel how how that held how how that helped us feel about Constantine and his council at Nicaea, right? <laughs> yes. So Arianism. How could we describe Arianism quickly? I bet we could. It's that old aphorism. Do you remember? You go first, though. Okay. Uh, well, there was that kind of byword that was used by uh, Ar- the the people trying to take Arius down a notch, and they said, "Well, he thinks that there was a time when Jesus was not." Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's basically Arianism in a, in a nutshell, right? Yeah, yeah. Arianism is the teaching that Jesus is of a different uh, substance uh, than the Father; that he is not consubstantial. He's not of He's not one with the Father. He's not fully divine. Based, that he was right. created. Yeah, that, based on what exactly what divine attribute, which is eternity, right? Mm-hmm. Eternity and uh, the an ardent commitment to monotheism. Sure, yeah, which, right. which is important. Yeah, of course. Uh, which the fathers were committed to, mm-hmm. because Christianity did not come out of nowhere. It's mm-hmm. The Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the earth. You know, we have the gospel in the garden, the, the Proto-Evangelium, right. Genesis 3.15. Um, you know, it's not just another word for heresy, perhaps, is, is novelty. Like, right. tr- like not everything that, that is ancient is true, but everything that's true is is ancient, confined attestation and antiquity, and uh, is is ultimately then, you know, eternal. Um, and so you have in... The early church from uh, the beginning, you have Nicene theology from the very first moment and the worship of the church because you have, um, for example, Thomas, uh, my Lord and my God. So you have you have an ardent commitment to monotheism. Hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one that there are multiple gods like is not on the table. But then you have Jesus uh, acting as God, doing things that would only be appropriate yeah. for God to do. Doing God stuff, yeah. And people worshiping him as such. Yep. And so you have this liturgical reality. From his nativity, this, right? This doxological yeah. reality. And the church has to figure out 
how to articulate their worship of how do we put God the Father and Jesus in the same sentence without speaking nonsense well, or heresy. So there's not a development uh, of the faith. The faith was delivered once for all the saints. There's a development in the articulation right. of the faith. And, and Arius ends up making this major depart- well, and not departure. Just the, and not just the incarnate Lord, right? But like to kind of finish out the story, not just Jesus Christ, the incarnate Lord, but also the Holy Ghost. Yes. Who keeps showing up and doing God things in the yeah. New Testament, right? And also throughout uh, when the Spirit shows up uh, throughout the, the Hebrew Scriptures is there is there are these three divine persons that keep making really important God mm-hmm. appearances, and especially Jesus Christ. So, um, yes, exactly. How does the church articulate this, in this, this divinity? And we talked about how the incarnation is sort of the scandal for Christian devotion and the- theological reflection. Yeah. And here we, here we are at the kind of outset of some real disagreement between Arius and the rest of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Arius would uh, understand a passage like the Joe Hanine prologue. Uh, very different than how the church has understood it. Right. You know, in the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He'd be like, well, no, the word was a God. And, you know, right. there was a time when he was not and he was sort of, you know, Jesus becomes this this demo demigod and it's, you know, heterousios. He, right. He's of a different substance because there's only one God. So Jesus can't be him. And historically, it's plugged into that a, a series of older heresies called adoptionisms, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that Jesus is divine, but uh, divine in a different way that, than than the Father is divine. Yes. Uh, so, and he receives, or is a, a you know just like just like I'm ordained to the priesthood to the order of the priesthood. Jesus is ordained to the order of divine beings by um, you know a lot of uh, I think I could be wrong, but. Um, especially like as baptism. Yeah, it's it's funny uh, as we get into you know the baptism of our Lord was January twelfth, mm-hmm. and there's still mention of uh, baptism of our Lord in this week's gospel. Yes, it's actually a part of my sermon. Not to get ahead of ourselves, is you know this isn't Jesus becoming the Son of God, right? Becoming divine when the Holy Spirit descends right. on him. This is Jesus being manifested. As such, as such, he's yes, being revealed right. as that which he's always been, right? Um, and so that is crucial. Um, and it, and just to take a step back for a second, we're talking about, you know, Father. Let me ask you a question. Mm. We're talking about Arius. Like, when is all this happening? And around what yeah, event so people yeah. can well, can get the timeline? Actually, Was this last week? Yeah. Uh, we actually interact with this every week uh, when we meet for worship, as uh, we, we when we pray the Nicene Creed together. And this this is happening in the fourth century. Uh, the 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 um, this controversy is happening and begins happening in the early part of the fourth century in the three hundreds. It's a huge controversy. I mean, there's riots in the streets at points because people actually took this seriously back then. But you know, those are the heydays, right? Um, and and in fact, as the as the Nicene Creed closes and uh, and and or excuse me, as the Nicene Council closes. Uh, and there's still actually some ambiguity in the language. Some people aren't really comfortable with the language that's being used. And so there's another council that's called uh, that's called in Constantinople in 381. Mm-hmm. And so by the end of the fourth century, we have what's called the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, which is the creed that we use every week on Sundays. Which I'm glad we just call it simply the Nicene Creed now, because that'd be a lot to say. Yeah, that's actually probably the first time I've said it. 
uh, without stuttering. So uh, <laughs> I, I was impressed because usually I'm like I add a syllable or yeah, two when I, I try to say we'll it. See. You yeah. listen to it again, but uh, yeah. So we actually, like I said, we interacted with this this doctrine, uh, this, the church's teaching as it's been summarized in the Nicene Creed. It was that important for the church to figure this out in the fourth century that through all ages, hence we have looked back on that as a, as a particular inflection point for our both our spiritual reflection and our theological reflection. Yeah. So that, that begs the question, why is that important? And I would say that it's to know who Jesus is and to know that Jesus is God. So if Gnosticism is trying to make sure that we're, we're safeguarding Jesus' humanity, here we are defending and, 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 and uh, resisting against the idea that he's just a human. Um, and that he is, in fact, as divine as the Father in the mystery of the Holy Trinity. And it's important for us to know that so that when we worship him, which is, in effect, what all Christians everywhere should be doing in almost every aspect of our lives, right? If we, if, if we are to worship Jesus Christ, he must be God or else we are condemned idolaters. Yeah, we're breaking the Ten Commandments. Correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first one in particular, yeah. yes. first and second. Yeah, and um, ignoring the Shema, right? Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, right? Yeah, and so it's a salvation issue. Yeah. Both like salvation falls apart in general, mm-hmm. but then on a particular like personal level, it falls a- apart as well if we if we deny this, uh, which we'll get to the an- anathemas. Yeah. Uh, they're actually, we don't say all of the Nicene Creed on Sunday because there are anathemas <laughs> at the end. So talk to your priest, send them an email and say, Father, I would love to start saying the anathemas on Sunday morning and see what sort of reply you get. Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but if Jesus is not fully human, whatever he hasn't taken up is not redeemed. Right. So if he didn't become human, then humanity is not redeemed in right. him. If he's not fully God, then only God can affect eternal salvation for right. the world and for our souls. And then if he's not fully God, then we're polytheists and we have no continuity to... Right. Uh, With the faith of Israel. The faith of Israel or yeah. to to Genesis, to Abraham, uh, to Moses. And we are polytheists. We are idolaters. We are worshiping uh, a man and we shall only worship the Lord our God. So right. we're, we're in big trouble. And then... Um, you know, so that's which, on which, that, that's on the general level. Yeah, and then I do want to read the anathemas just so they can. <laughs> um, Here we go. It's great. Um, this is this is uh, at the end. It says, "But as for those who say there was when he was not, and before being born he was not, and that he came into existence out of nothing." Or who assert that the Son of God is of a different hypostasis or substance, or created, or is subject to alteration or change. These the Catholic and Apostolic Church anathematizes. So they're going directly after yeah. the teaching of Arius. Right. Um, there. And so it's, again, as we talked about heresy in general, like this isn't like, you know, what do you think about the tribulation period or what do you <laughs> believe about the millennial kingdom? I don't think those are salvation yeah. issues. When we're talking about the person and work of Jesus, right. it does not get more important. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, a lot of folks have asked me as I've, as I've taught theology in my parish and other places, you know, the usual question, especially from 
um, from folks who, who are of a certain generation older than us will say, well, why, why do I need to worry about who God, who Jesus is? I just want to, it's just about Jesus. I just want to be close to Jesus. And I would say, yeah, you're actually, that's, that's good to be close to Jesus, but you want to be close to Jesus because Jesus is God. And if, if Jesus isn't God, then we really kind of don't really want to be close to him. Like he's just a guy. He's got a really good set of teachings, but he's just a guy. And I don't, I don't want to follow that. I want, to, I think personally, and and I think the church would agree, that our unity with the divine Savior, who actually became us, and is also everything that the Father is in His divinity, this is a much more compelling road to heaven, and a much more compelling way to serve humanity. And it's what Jesus claimed. Yes. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna t- we're t- that's what he proclaimed. Yeah. You know, th- this idea. Father Matt always cuts to the quick, right? Why well, do we think that we? And, why and do we think we should do this? Oh, because Jesus commands when he says, "I and the Father are one." And it's not just the Gospel of John. I mean, that's yeah. this bogus idea that you know Jesus only claims to be divine in the Gospel of no. John. Absolute garbage. He does stuff in all four Gospels that uh, it's only appropriate for Yahweh to do. He's clearly showing that this is Yahweh's return design. I mean, he's, he's in the... Well, Mark, right? Mark is always... This has been fulfilled in your hearing. Yeah, like, hey, that yeah. scripture is about me. Yeah. Who can say that except God right. himself? Well, like Mark is always like accused of having the super low Christology, right? But remember that they lower the dude in. They lower the guy... Like his friends are on Jesus' house. I just read this re- again doing a study and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this story. It's so funny. They're at Jesus' house. They... They, they rip off Jesus's roof to lower the dude in on his pallet. His friends are lowering him in because they know Jesus has power. And the first thing that Jesus does is what? He forgives his sins. And everyone's like, what? Like, wait a minute. Who else can do that but God? Take heart, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And such that, and so that you would know, right? And so that you would know what's really going on, I'll, as a, as a bonus level, I'll uh, get up, get up off your mat and walk. All right, take yeah. your pallet and get out. Right? It's actually you would think he, he says so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to give forgive sins. Right? Yeah. So he's invoking, if I'm remembering it right, if he says Son of Man, he's invoking Daniel seven mm-hmm. that I'm indeed the one enthroned at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. Uh, yeah. So that and <laughs> yeah, exactly that part of that. Part like of, I'm not yeah. just like a visiting scholar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So here's Mark. Here's Mark writing about, you know, per, you know, um, most scholars agree that Mark is the earliest gospel. Mark writing about Jesus who is making claims about his own messiahship and we would say making claims about his own divinity by doing the work of very of, of very God, right? Do you think most scholars are right? Ah. Uh, or do you think Matthew was written first? I really wish Matthew was first, but I don't know. Methan priority. priority. I don't know, man. It's above my pay grade. <sighs> Paul wrote Hebrews. <laughs> the, the early origin, I think earlier in first principles, so origins in the third century and kind of the first scholar, uh, like major like Bible scholar, theologian of the yeah. church. Um, earlier in first principles he attributes paul but then later he says it's the teaching of paul but it's in someone else's voice or hand meaning 
you know, it was like an anamnesis or someone who was schooled under Paul and then and then wrote it because the the language is just so different the, than what we find in other letters. So I'm in agreement with the later origin. Paul wrote Hebrews. <laughs> this is how I mess with Father Matt, by the, the way. What I what I did in seminary, I would just I would latch onto stuff <laughs> that like five people care about. Like like no one really cares that much. But I would just like latch on to like authorship of Hebrews and write like twenty papers about it. <laughs> and people were like, dude, why are you writing about this? I'm like, I don't know, man. It just it matters to me. That's so, so now I'm committed. I love it. Well, as we close out this section and as we go, uh, well, we're way over time, but if we... Uh, if we... Our episodes are getting longer. On the yeah. spot, you know what? Full episodes are going to be more like 90 minutes now. <laughs> uh, it's, it's fine. Uh, it's fine. Uh, you know, turn it off if you don't like it, whatever. Um, as we close out this this idea of talking about heresies, you know, on, on, and we talk about our favorite heresies. These are actually my favorite heresies to talk about because they really do matter in the life of the church because we really do want to pray to Jesus and know who God is um, as the the best way that we can, right? It matters. It matters. And, and I find that when I teach the heresies in my own parish and in other places, that it's much easier for me to grab people's attention and also help train them for orthodoxy. And not just the disembodied orthodoxy that we're actually kind of complaining about, but an orthodoxy that moves us towards greater charity and orthopraxis. Mm-hmm. Um, true theology is meant to be done by people who pray, says the ancient church. And I want us as prayers to be thinking and loving the object of our prayer the best way we can. So, cool. That was good. Thanks, man. Looking forward to more. Yeah, it's going to be good. I, we've got a couple of people who are interested in joining us for some of these, so it'll be, it'll be fun. Got to find some Gnostics out there. I don't think they're going to be arguing for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could handle a real Gnostic. That would be weird. Yeah, that would be bizarre. Especially if they were of the uh, hedonistic type. Yeah. It could oh, get geez. awkward really fast. Real awkward, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to get into the sermon first pass. And full disclosure from me, <laughs> uh, my sermon for the second Sunday after the Epiphany is already written. Uh, I have a little bit of editing to do, but the, the draft is pretty much there. So you're, you're getting pretty close to the finished product uh, from me. <laughs> Uh, so I don't want you to be like, wow, you know, he's he, so smart. He took that off the top of his head, <laughs> which you probably wouldn't be that impressed anyway. You'd be like, yeah, like, yeah, I could think of that off the top of my head. Why did it take you two days? <laughs> so the lections were in the Revised Common Lectionary uh, Year A. The Old Testament is Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. The Psalm is Psalm 40, verses 1 through 12. The epistle is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 9. And the gospel is John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. And the gospel is recalling the baptism of Jesus, the ministry of uh, John the Baptist, and then moves into the calling of the first uh, of the twelve. Yeah. You want to go first? <laughs> no, I actually texted uh, Father Father Matt earlier this week. I'm like, what am I going to do with these? So I'm glad to sit at his feet today. Um, well, in fact, one of the pieces of advice that you gave me this afternoon was um, to, to be mindful of the collect. 
which is, as I look at it, uh, one of my favorites. In fact, I love the Epiphany Collex. I love it when we have a long Epiphany because it's got some really gorgeous prayers in there. Um, and we'll we'll actually pray this together as as we end tonight. But um, the the collect for the day reads: Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Christ, is the light of the world. This is the right two version. Grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Um, I mean, speaking in continuity with the rest of our presentation today, I mean, like we... <laughs> Uh, to know orthodox theology is 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 the, the 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 function of that is to know who Jesus is right so that we can worship in, him in spirit and truth and so that we can obey him with full and open hearts uh, so that the kingdom may progress in God's grace right um, I I think I'm going to be starting with that in per per your advice to be to be thinking about Christ being known worshipped and obeyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my sermon, and it wasn't intentional, but as, as I was preparing it, I'm like, well, I'm, I guess perhaps unwittingly, <laughs> I'm, I'm following the theological logic of sure. the collect. And I'm going back to my Baptist roots because I'm going to have four points <laughs> and they're not going to alliterate, but they are going to rhyme. To, to rhyme. <laughs> if, it, if you can alliterate and rhyme, people will be translated to the third heaven. It's pretty much guaranteed. But... It's going to be four words, uh, manifestation, illumination, transformation, evangelization, Mm -hmm. which Jesus Christ is the light of the world. That's the manifestation. So I'm going to talk about uh, Epiphany Tide. He's manifested to the Gentiles, all the nations of the earth, the star that the Magi followed. He's, He's manifested as this eternal son of God as the Messiah, as the Lord of the world, at his baptism with the Holy Spirit uh, descending. And by beholding the crucified and risen Jesus uh, today in word and sacrament, we're illuminated. And then that transforms us as Moses was transformed. We shine with the radiance of Christ's glory. uh, And then that leads to evangelization that um, he may be known, worshiped and obeyed in our holy huddle. No, to the ends of the earth. So I'm just progressing uh, through, uh, again, the theological logic of the collect and filling that in with um, mm-hmm. the lections. You know, for example, in the gospel, of course, referring back to the baptism of Jesus, mentioning, like I did a few minutes ago, that this isn't Jesus becoming the Son of God, but being manifested as such, being revealed as such, uh, the, a little bit of the meaning of his baptism, um, and then the calling of the disciples, that that's the reconstitution of the 12 t- tribes of Israel, right? That's why there's 12 of them. This is the renewed Israel. Right. And as he says in John 20, as the Father sent me, so have I sent you. And so the Great Commission is really the repetition of that first commission to be fruitful and to be uh, and to multiply, to expand the borders right. of Eden. And so now we as the church are expanding the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. And so that's evangelistically... Uh, driven and that flows out of our life of word and sacrament. So that's a, a little bit of my sermon. <laughs> Jeez, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, like I said, it, it's yeah. already written. Yeah, that's great, Father Matt. I'm looking at. I'm just looking at um, 
just a couple of the verses from Isaiah. Um, you know, I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And and uh, also, kings shall see and stand up, princes, they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel has chosen you. And just thinking about how that, um, how those things are so, again, to, uh, well embodied in our Lord and Jesus, and, and also how they are guarantees of, of, of the church's vocation, uh, both now uh, as the church, as it is militant in the world doing its work, but also as the church is triumphant in, in, in its work, uh, work uh, as it awaits the, the, the consummation of all things. Um, the, uh, the idea that the manifestation of Christ is connected intrinsically to the vocation of Israel um, the manifestation of of Israel's God by nature of their of Israel's basically their behavior and witness and Jesus like you said reconstituting it and doing it for them and for the light of the world for the life of the world um, has been something that I've been keep I keep coming back to that in my own preaching and, um, because it's it's um it's kind of inescapable once you're you're thinking through the Old Testament again right and especially in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see your sermon, boss. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I'm going to touch on, but I think you could do an entire sermon on it, is, you know, in the college it talks about lumen by word and sacraments. And that, right. that immediately made me think of uh, the road to Emmaus where uh, post-resurrection – you have two disciples, yeah. Cleopas, and then the other one is unnamed. Too bad for him, you know, un- uncredited Sorry, actor. I could have been in the Bible. <laughs> um, <laughs> where they don't recognize Jesus, but he, he opens the scriptures up to them, and he explains to them, starting with Moses and the prophets, the things concerning him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then their eyes are opened when they, when they, as he blesses and, and breaks the bread. So this Eucharistic uh, moment. And uh, connecting that with the Psalm, Psalm 40, that uh, this sounds so trite, but the scriptures are all about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's where we encounter him. That's where, how we know him in the scriptures. Instead of reading scripture, like it's all about us or like it's first and foremost sort of the self-help right. uh, book. So like the Psalms in particular, when we're praying the Psalms, Yes, we're connecting with David or the other psalmist and, you know, the plight of being a human being or the plight of following God and difficulty and we can connect with them and find ourselves in them. But first and foremost, we should find Christ that when we're praying the psalms, we're speaking about Christ and we're speaking as Christ and the person of Christ. So like Psalm 40, I waited patiently upon the Lord. He stooped to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the desolate pit, out of the mire and clay. He set my feet upon a high cliff and made my footing sure. Ultimately, I, and I think you'd see this throughout the patristics, mm-hmm. that's about Christ and, and the resurrection, that God right. the Father is raising him from the dead and setting him on the high cliff uh, and on this rock and is reconstituting the whole earth, that he's the chief cornerstone of the new uh, temple, the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, we share in his victory, coming full circle, by virtue of the incarnation, right. 
which we get in on initially at our baptism, that we're united with Christ in his death uh, and in his resurrection in the, in the sacrament of baptism. Well, yeah, and yeah, and not to interrupt, but I think yeah. St. John's Gospel makes your point for you by, by nominating, by, by John's exclaiming to the disciples as Jesus walking by, he exclaimed, look, there's the Lamb of God, which is sacrificial language. Yeah. Right? That it's not it's not idly that that John keeps referring to him as the Lamb of God. He's not just some dumb sheep. He's yeah. it's using this sacrificial language, which is, in essence, pointing us towards the Eucharistic, mm-hmm. the sort of um, the beautiful Eucharistic the- theology of John and his gospel. Yeah. So I, I'd love to do. I mean, I, I'm not doing this. I'm just kind of touching on this, but I. There's almost like a lesson in hermeneutics in here of, you know, when we're reading scripture, we should be saying, okay, well, what is this saying about Jesus? You know, like verse 9 of Psalm 40, in the role of the book, it is written concerning me. I love to do your will, O my God, your law is deep in my heart. Well, who loved to do the will of God more than Jesus Christ himself? And so in a sense, that's what we're proclaiming. The, The one who said in the garden, uh, not my will, but yours, O Lord. But then as the mystical body of Christ um, and through participation in the divine, uh, we become like Christ and, and we long to do the will of God and, and by his grace mm-hmm. actually do it every once in a while. I mean, because we're, we're works in pro- right, progress, in Christ, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, where, you know, yeah, he, he brought us out of the mire and clay, but he's still cleaning the muck and the mire off of us. Yeah. And that's why we can go to the epistle and get hope because Paul tells them, you're not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. So there's this like promise of sanctification which is which is which, the sort of candy on the lips of Paul before he gets into like here's what's going on dudes yeah which which <laughs> i think is is very encouraging cuz yeah. Corinth is a hot mess. mess yeah hot mess and he he still believes as broken as you guys are you know who knows who's sleeping with who right. and temple prostitutes and all that getting hammered at the eucharist God's going to get you there. And, and that can be encouraging for us because, you know, I'll speak for myself. Even as a priest, I'm like, I can't believe I committed that sin again. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's like you can be discouraged because you're like, I should I have I should have made more progress in the spiritual right, life by now. Right. Or and the it, entire it, body it, of the church making it, continual uh, the word the word like we remain in our imperfection. Right. And, and it's this this promise that like. God is still working on us and yeah. we just need to, the Christian life is a life of repentance right? and that we need to, to trust in his grace and that he has actually equipped us to live the Christian life. I can remain a churchman because first, first Corinthians is a book in the Bible is how I look at that, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Like there's, there's hope for us yet. Yes, absolutely. Um, hey, Father Matt. Yes. Why do you think John wrote it was about four o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs> like, why did he write that? Because it's time for prayer or what? 
Hmm, hold on a second. Bottom, what? bottom of the gospel. I need to get I might need to get the whole Bible out here. Because let me see. Where's the four o'clock in the afternoon? Okay, let me see. So here okay, the next Okay, the next day. Hmm, I need to I would need to get my notes out because I can't remember off the top of my head. It's like counting cards. What would the count be? Because in all likelihood, he's he's counting uh, the days of creation, and that's why he keeps commenting on the days. Oh, sure. So, so I think yeah, I th- yeah, yeah. I think we would be um here on uh, day three, perhaps. But that still doesn't help me. Why it would be four o'clock in the afternoon? Uh, I'm sorry to take you off track, but I was wondering about that earlier this week. I guarantee you that both Origen and Augustine have a comment. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Yeah. So we can just look that up, and they will tell us exactly why. And I will do that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, because that that would be the the tenth hour. Because we're we're translating that into our time. Right. So that would be that would be the tenth, right? I think so. Three p.m. is the ninth hour, so four o'clock would be the tenth hour. So. All right. We're ready to pray it out. Yeah. Well, as always, we hope that uh, our, our work together has been enjoyable and edifying to you. Uh, and as we close out our, our, our prayers today, we are mindful of, uh, of our listeners throughout the world now. We are so glad to see that we've got some listeners in the UK now. It's about time. (laughs) Father Matt is so salty about it. (laughs) I was like, this is an Anglican podcast. Where are the Englishmen and women? Why isn't the queen herself listening? We were just delighted to see that we had some UK listeners and also some listeners in random parts of Arkansas. So thank you, guys. I jest. We we really don't have a sense of entitlement. Or do we? We don't know. We probably do. But yeah, if you're English, listen to us. And if you're not, if you're not, there's lots of people from all over the world and listening to us. So we want as many people as possible. To... And invite us to your home. <laughs> Let in, us couch surf in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's pray together uh, the collect of the day for uh, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. Let us pray. Almighty God whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. Grant that thy people, illumined by thy word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to who with thee and the Holy Spirit liveth and reigneth, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right. Thanks for listening to our longest episode ever. Is this the longest one ever? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. We'll see. You'll have to edit. Yeah. (laughs) And congratulations to uh, Dr. Hans Borsmans, the most listened to episode as as we record this. It's a race. Other episodes pop up there and (laughs) We we pay we pay strong attention to our analytics, so Yes we do. We're watching you. (laughs) Blessings, thank you. Bye. Bye.